when I think about Jesus and what he has done for us and how we feel as if sometimes that just sometimes maybe just our sin is enough to give up. But Jesus says it's not just your sin, it's the things that hold you back from running with me fully. And I love that. Uh, I also love to shake things up. And so what I want to do today is shake things up with everyone here. Um, I would like to ask if everyone would maybe fill up the first three rows here. Y'all just kind of come up closer here. Bring it on in. Those of you who sat in the first two rows, you're like, thank you, Lord. (laughs) We're not having to move. So come on up here to the first row. You can sit up here in the second row if you want to be that that one. Like, I don't want to in the first row. There's two rows behind you. You can fill that up. And you're probably thinking, why are we doing this? And I'm thinking to myself, why not? Because we as a church, we're going into the holiday season where the holidays are all about family and togetherness. The holidays are all about being together, being one, being as, as involved with each other. And let me just say this, there are some of us here in this church that you desperately need family in your life. You desperately need community in your life. You desperately need to be united with more than just the people who you're comfortable with. You need to be united with people who are going to grow you, people who are going to help you overcome the obstacles in your life. And so this way of doing this, this is just kind of, I just kind of brought you guys together a little bit. Y'all look so good. Um, I probably won't do this to, this to y'all next week. So just, this will be the only week y'all got to next to her. Hopefully you like the person you're sitting next to. If not, I'm sorry. So we'll go ahead and just get started the message. Y'all doing good this week, by the way? Everyone okay? I know that a lot of the men in here have had hard work weeks. I know I have um, up in the, in the refineries and turnarounds and stuff like that. Some of the women, I know you ladies have just been real busy with stuff, women things. And so uh, I'm pretty sure you guys have been real busy. Um, but I did find some time last Sunday after church to kind of break away and kind of do something I love to do, which is watch Dallas Cowboys. And so last week I was at home watching the Cowboys and just watching the awesomeness that is Ezekiel Elliott, the, Zeke the Freak Elliott, kind of run the ball, and then Beasley, Measley, Beasley, just making touchdowns and making first downs and just doing all these great things. I saw Dak Prescott, um, the, the gift from God, just kind of run into the end zone for us. I mean, I love Romo, but, I mean, this guy is good. And so, like, just all these great things happening on Sunday morning, and I noticed one thing, one thing that, that, that actually was going on in every game that Sunday, but one thing is that whenever the players got within the red zone, which is, you know, the, the, the 10 and end zone, when they get in the red zone area, that each player who touched the ball was reaching towards the goal. That if Zeke the Freak got the ball and was running down the sidelines, if he got knocked down on the one, you better believe that that ball was going to go as far into the end zone as his arm could reach. I saw Dak Prescott throwing the football, and I saw the, the wide receivers, they would catch the ball, look over real quickly at the corner eye, and try to get that foot into the end zone or cross the plane of the end zone with the football. They were reaching towards the goal. But not only that, the whole team as a whole, whenever they would get the ball kicked off to them and they would receive the ball, say in the end zone or at the 20-yard line, the 10-yard line, they would all as a team work together to reach the goal at the end of the field. They all worked together. They blocked for each other. The kicker even got into the game and went back. And, and they all worked together to reach the goal. And it got me thinking 
that as a church, there is a lot to learn from us being together as a group within the first three rows, us being together as a group reaching towards the common goal. It's exactly what Paul is going to be talking to us about here in Philippians. If you have your Bibles, please open them up to Philippians chapter 3, verse 12. If you don't have your Bible, it's going to scream behind me. Uh, there's actually some under your seat now. It's a white Bible. You can take that home. That's yours to keep if you want. And then on Facebook as well, the scripture just got posted. And while you're there, you can go ahead and check in. Say the pastor made me move out of my chair. I don't know if I want to come back next week. I'm revolting my membership because I wouldn't, that was my chair that I've always loved to sit in for weeks and weeks and weeks. Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3. As we're turning there, let me remind, you, remind us exactly what we did last week. Last week, we saw that Paul was talking about certain people in the, 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 the church, in the, the Jewish area, customs, that, that there was a, um, a certain people that placed their trust more in their resources than they did in the guy who resourced them, which is Jesus. They trust more in the things that they had and the person that they were and the achievements that they've made versus trusting in God above all. Okay, and we said that uh, that that this type of um, this type of thinking though is dangerous to us. It's dangerous because it gives way and encourages self righteousness to grow inside of our hearts, and self righteousness is. Bad. It's bad. Real bad. Because when you become self-righteous, you feel as if you don't even need God no more. You say, I don't need him no more. I am good. I don't need to be told what to do by some entity in the sky. I am better than that. I have understood the scriptures probably better than Jesus. That's the mindset that we get whenever we become self-righteous. And we trust in our, the, the abilities that we have. You trust in the fact that you're really good at quoting Scripture. You trust in the fact that you have been serving in four different ministries. You trust in the fact that you're the best uh, tither in the church. You trust in the fact that you do all these things that are better than anyone else. And because of that, you feel as if you don't need to be told what to do by God. That is self-righteousness. And it's a dangerous place to be. But today, Paul is going to shift his conversation from focusing on ourselves to focusing on our goal in life. The goal that he has, that he talks about, is the goal that we all should have. He's going to talk about how both we as individuals and we as the church, the team, the church together, must all be pressing towards the goal, reaching out towards the goal. So with that, let's continue to read along here. Uh, Philippians chapter 3, verse 12, 3.12. Paul says this, he says, Not that I have already attained this, or that I am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because of Christ Jesus has made me his own. He said, Brothers, do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I pressed on toward the goal, the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Okay, so let's just kind of stop right there. Because I think we need to have a clear understanding of what Paul is saying and communicating to us. Paul is confessing to the church that he is not perfect. 
big surprise. We should know that by now. Paul was once named Saul, and we know what he did in his life before. He was a murderous guy. He went after the church. He tried to persecute the church and dissolve the church and murder the church and, and put the church members in jail, and he would bring charges against them. He was not the perfect man. And in fact, you, you say, well, then he became Paul, and he met Jesus, and life got good. No, he met Paul. He met Jesus, he became Paul, and he still struggled with sin. He said that there was a certain thorn in his side that he struggled with all the time. Now, I don't know what that was, but I don't want to speculate, but he wasn't perfect, okay? But he said that he's not perfect, but the one thing he does, the one thing that he is, is, he is destined to do and he's going to strive for is that he is constantly with passion and just determination, he is going to press on towards the goal. That he is going to keep pushing forward no matter what comes his way, he's going to be passionately and determined pressing towards the goal. He says that's what he's going to need to do. And so, um, so you ask yourself, what exactly is the goal for Paul? If, if he's pressing towards this thing that's so good, what is the goal? Like, what is, what's this all about? Well, it must be a great life. Amen? It must be that the goal, the end goal for Paul is to have this great life with many blessings in his life. And maybe he might want to get those really high dollar fashion robes that they sold back in the day, the one with all the nice gold sequins in it. And it might be having the top of the line camel with all the upgrades <laughs> that, that the best Pharisees rode around all the time. That might be his end goal, that that is the thing that he desires the most. I press on towards the goal of having the best palace in the land. No. No, no, that's not what he says the goal is. He says the goal is simply the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. The upward call of God in Christ. That's it. In Christ Jesus. That's it. That's that's, that's all he gets. It's Jesus. That's all he says the goal is. Church, Paul wasn't focused on anything else but Jesus. He was focused on who Jesus was. And what Jesus wanted Paul to do, that was his focus. And listen, I need to bring this up because I feel like it's a cancer that is spreading through the church of America all the time. And you might like, can't feel it. You're always like beating us on this, but I need to bring it up. This idea that we follow Jesus to gain something out of it for ourselves is, is just a bad idea. That we follow Jesus because we want it to be something for ourselves. That I want to follow Jesus so that Jesus can bless me and take care of me. And that those are good thoughts to have. You, you, you should desire God to, to love you. But if the only reason you follow Jesus is so that you can get something, you have literally screwed over Jesus in the process. Because Jesus says, I'm not here to give you what you want. I'm here for you to do what I want. And what I want is to see my kingdom grow and to see the people of God who are lost to come back to me. And through that, you will find everlasting satisfaction and hope and everlasting life with me. Which is ultimately what you need and not what you want, probably. Church, this is how we need to follow Jesus. We need to have an eternal, eternal perspective versus a 70 to 80 year perspective of our life. The way you think, should, you should be thinking eternally, forever in your life. Stop thinking about what you're going to do at retirement and start thinking about what you're going to do when you get to heaven. 
Stop thinking about saving up enough money to make it through to your retirement age and your 401k and all that and start thinking about the treasures that you should be storing up in heaven and eternal thinking. I saw a video this past week from John Bevere, uh, Pastor John Bevere. If you don't know John Bevere, he's a really famous pastor. He's written a lot of books. He's a speaker. But he was telling uh, the, the people in this video that he was at this um, conference down in Brazil and while he was there, it was a conference for like small churches, small church networks, church planters, um, stuff that I love, church planting and building churches and planting churches. And he said that while he was there, he found out that this, this small network of churches and church plants that was down there actually in total numbered over 300,000 people. Let that sink in. 300,000 people. That's pretty cool, right? That's pretty neat. But the cooler thing is, is that when he was talking, he found out that this church that was 300,000 people strong, and 300,000 people, that's a lot of people, but in reality, in the U.S., that's not that much. You know, because I mean, I think Old Scene's like, what, 400,000 people? I think Life Church is up to 800,000. But to have a church in Brazil, a little church, a bunch of little churches together, to number over 300,000 people is pretty impressive. But what's even more impressive is that he found out that this number of people in this church actually grew within a series of 16 years. That it started from one church plant with one guy and his wife and his family planting a small church within their hut. And then that grew into another church and another church plant and another church plant. And it went from like two to 300,000 people in 16 years. And so he was just, you know, he was just so impressed with this. And he goes, I need to find, figure out what the key is. I need to know how to do this. I need to take this information and bring it back to America and, and figure out how to do that. And so he said that he asked one of the pastors, how did you grow from zero to 300,000 in 16 years? How did you do it? He said, I was expecting to hear the answer, man. We were really big on evangelism. We, we, we do these mass evangelisms, these Billy Graham crusades. We do these things. See, that's not what the guy said. He said that he might have expected the guy to say, we were really big on like, like Bible studies. That's what we do. He said, no, that's not what the guy said. He said, no, we were really big on like whenever people walk in, we have the best worship band out there. So that's not what he said. He asked the guy, how did you grow from three to 300,000 in 16 years? And the pastor says, we preach with an eternal perspective. John Carlos said it earlier today. We're talking back there. He actually quoted Spurgeon, which is pretty awesome, bro. Um, he quoted Spurgeon. He said that, bro, man, Spurgeon said this. He said that um, hard preaching produces soft hearts, and soft preaching produces hard hearts. Wow. We have got to have this understanding that is eternal in our lives. That's what Paul is saying. Your goal has got to be an eternal goal. When you come to the understanding that your purpose in life is to glorify God and only Him, to build up His kingdom and not your kingdom, to worship His Son Jesus and not your own selflessness, that's when your life starts to change. That's when the people of God come together. That's when, 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 when revolution starts. That's when, when things start to happen in the church. It doesn't matter how much scripture you have or knowledge of it. What matters is how much you love Jesus and what do you do towards that goal of reaching him constantly. That's the goal that Paul is talking about. And even with as much 
things that he's already done in his life, all the things that Paul has done. I mean, this is Paul. We said that he has planted churches for God. He's taken beatings after beatings after beatings at the hands of the Romans for God. We said he's been shipwrecked for God. We said he's done all these things for God. And even Paul, probably the best, most known Christian outside of Jesus out there, we said that this guy, even him, he says he is not even there at the goal yet. That even though he's not perfect, he is still reaching towards that goal. Let me ask you this question. How close are you to that goal? And are you pressing towards it? Looking at your life, how close are you to that goal? The goal, the upward call of Christ to say that you live, you live, live, live of him, that he is number one in your life and everything about you is for Jesus. How close to you are that goal? And if you're near that goal, if you're making your way down the field of life, are you pressing towards it constantly? Are you straining towards that? Are you to the point where you say, my life is all about making that goal? As you walk with Christ, the closer you get to this goal, the more mature you are in Christ. And that's why I'm sad for the Christian who thinks that they are mature in Christ is because they can quote some scripture but do absolutely nothing for the kingdom. Many of us think we're close to the goal, but we are far from it. We're trusting in the resources that we have, the things that we have achieved in our life, our background, our upbringing, versus trusting in what we do today for tomorrow. So how does one become more mature in Christ? That's what Christ says. He says, as you press on towards the goal, that's what Paul says, as you press on towards the goal, you're going to become more mature. Verse 15 in Philippians says, let those of us who are mature think this way. And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that to you also. Let us, only let us hold true to what we have attained. Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. Paul says, he tells us, be mature about this. Be mature about this. Don't, don't joke around with this. Be mature about this. And follow him as an example of how to live. He gives us the invite to join and participate in what he is doing. I love this about Paul. Because he's talking about discipleship here. He is talking about building disciples and growing disciples. He doesn't say, hey, go home, bust out YouTube, watch the, all the great sermons about what it means to be mature in Christ and then come back to me and be mature. He didn't say, go to Mardell, get the best book, the best Beth Moore book, the best John Piper book, the best book by any author out there, not Olsteen, but whatever author you got, whatever author you got, and come over and read that book and then come over and you will be mature in Christ. No, he doesn't say that. He says, do what I do. Sounds familiar. Jesus said, come and follow me. Paul says, imitate me. He says, be discipled by me. Come follow me. Watch what I do. Imitate what I do. Come, join, and participate. Imitating in life. Paul is urging the church to press onward towards the heavenly goal because just like he's doing it, he knows if they start to imitate him in time, they will become more mature as they go. I cannot tell you the man that I have discipled through life and just say, hey, bro, just follow me. Well, let's do this. No, just follow me. Just, just live. Like, you want to know how to love your family better? Follow me. 
Come spend dinner with us. Watch how I put my kids to bed. Watch how we pray over our children at night. Watch how we, we live. And you want to know how we interact with the people who are so far from God? Come with me to Treyway. Come with me as we do outreaches. Watch me talk to the guys who are all hyped up on drugs and stuff. Watch me talk to those men, and you will learn how to talk to those men. And maybe you'll teach me a thing or two that I don't even know. Come follow me. You want to know how to be a good mom? Hang out with moms. You want to know how to be a good boyfriend to your girlfriend? Hang out with married people who love each other and have been married for years. You want to know how to be a good husband and wife? Hang out with people who understand what does it mean to have a biblical marriage. One that is full of forgiveness and grace. Follow me, he says. Come and, and, uh, he says, come and just imitate me. Keep your eyes on those who walk in the, in the way of the light. Keep your eyes on those people. Look at the people in the church who are, who are there doing the church. Let me ask you this. Who are the people that you are following and imitating? Who are the people that are in your life that you follow and you imitate? As for us young people, it's easy. We can look at some of the older people in the church. As you get older, who are the people you are following? Maybe you need to follow someone that's, that's just been in the church a little bit longer than you, that understands forgiveness and grace. Maybe you need to be following someone like that. It's not saying that they are better than you. It's just saying that they are a little bit more along the walk of Christ, and they need you to follow them so that they can learn something from you, and you can learn something from them. Are the people you following bringing you closer to the goal, or are they holding you back from it? The people you follow in your life, your friends, the people you hang out with all the time, are they bringing you closer to the goal, or are they bringing you closer to stay here in the world? What are the people that you hang out with? This is why being connected to a missional city group is so vital to your growth. I'm going to preach this and preach this and preach this and preach this until the day I die because I owe nothing that will satisfy your soul than being connected to a group of believers who are diverse in their love for each other. This gives you a well-balanced array of people around you in your life, not people who are just like you. If you hang out with people who are just like you, you know what you're going to get? The same thing. You're going to reproduce the same type of person if you hang out with people who are just like you. You need to hang out with people who are so diverse, who think differently than you, people who even annoy you a little bit because it pushes you to love them more, and it also pushes you to learn how to forgive them more, and in turn it makes you love them more, and in turn it brings them closer to you, and in turn it brings them closer to God. you got to be around people who are diverse, okay? So, you know, through that type of community, the diversity in community, you can challenge each other to be reaching towards the common goal. You encourage and challenge each other. Example, as a community group, as a city group, maybe you want to commit to reading a book of the Bible every week. And you say, we're going to read through the book of Philippians, and this week we're going to do this. And, and as a group, you, do not, you assign your, your chapters a week. Hey, we're going to read chapter 1 and 2 this week, or verses 12 through 24 this week. And you do not go past the next week until you've discussed it as a group. And if one person says, I haven't even gone past that. I didn't even have time to go past this verse. I didn't even have time. You say, okay, as a group, we're going to come back together. We're going to give us another week to read these scriptures. Maybe God is trying to tell us something more. And you come back and you do not advance until you have studied that scripture. You have lived it out in your life. And you know what exactly God is asking you to do, what he's asking you to do about it, and what is he trying to tell us as a group. The group encourages and challenges you to move towards the goal together. That's your team. As a group of believers, we go together as a team. 
There was so much more to it, though. Community and discipleship bring forth accountability and commitment as well. I shared a quote earlier this year, uh, actually earlier this week, and I forgot who, who said it. It doesn't really matter who said it. I'm going to say it again. I'm probably going to butcher it anyway. But he said, basically, everybody wants community and friendship until that brings accountability and commitment. Everybody wants to be together with friends and community until that, those friends of the community challenge you and bring you accountability and commitment. That's what discipleship does and community does. It helps you stay accountable. It keeps you on a straight path. It's people around you saying, I love you, but what you're doing is wrong. Both of them help you mature as a believer and help you reach towards the goal. But listen, that is not easy. None of it is easy. Being a Christian isn't easy in and of itself, but being a mature Christian is even harder. As you're about to read, there are many of us who will fall away from this. Paul says that there are many of us who will not even make it to this point in our lives. And we'll start reaching back into the world. Paul says this in verse 18. Just for many of whom I have often told you and now tell you, even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction, their God is in their belly, and their glory in their shame with the minds set on earthly things. Paul points out that there are many enemies of the cross. He says, many of you with tears, people I know, he said, have actually turned away and started focusing more on the things of the world. There are enemies of the cross. By the way, do you know if you're an enemy of the cross? Paul says that the enemies of the cross set their minds on earthly things and do not look forward to the return of Christ. Now, when I read that, I was like, cool, I'm good, all right? I'm I'm not even in that category. I'm good. And then I started really thinking about it. And I started really questioning myself and what I do throughout the week. And listen, I started asking myself this question. Do I really look forward to the return of Christ? Or is that going to be an inconvenience for me? Do I look forward to the return of Christ? Or is that going to inconvenience my life? Like I'm down with Jesus, okay? I'm good with Jesus and everything's good. But just, Jesus, don't come back. I want to be able to enjoy um, and be able to play sports and have that, uh, that incredible life. Jesus, I love you. I'm down with you. Everything's cool. You're great. But please do not come back until I buy that sports car I really want. Okay, because I've been saving and saving, and it would suck if you came back the day before I bought the car. Okay, Jesus, I love you, okay, but please don't come back until I live at least 70 to 80 more years of my life. I'm 30 years old. I want to live a little bit longer. I want to see my grandkids. I love you, but I want to be able to do this in my life as well. Jesus, um, here's a good one. I love this one. Jesus, I love you. You're great. I'm down with you, but please don't come back before I get married. Please don't come back while I'm still single, because that would be terrible, okay? I've been single all this time. I'm doing good. I find someone I like, or maybe someone I want. I'm about to ask them to be my wife or be whatever, it is, you know, and, and then you come back. Please don't do that, because that would really suck, you know? Like, you know, these are great things to have in your life. Don't get me wrong. Paul says that all these things are good and all that, but, but these are the things that we can focus on and if we focus so much on these things, we might miss the point and ultimately end in destruction. Those are examples of us reaching towards our self-goals versus reaching towards our heavenly goal. Then Paul says that 
This is the density of all those whose hearts are not transformed by the gospel. He said, this is the density. This is what makes up the heart of someone who does not, is not transformed by the gospel. Paul says that, that this is what, what really determines whether you are saved or not saved. The density is the thickness of what is in your heart, what makes up the majority of your heart, whether or not you focus on the upward call of Christ and reach towards the goal and think about the return of Christ and have your mindset on heaven. Church, that should be a gut check for you and me today. Big time gut check. Because if reaching towards the goal means that I need to be staying focused on Jesus and his kingdom, then I'm not sure I even live up to that. Because I'm just being honest here. I love my life. I mean, I love my life. I have a great family, a great home. Everything's great. But sometimes I get caught up in the material, worldly possessions and dreams that I, that I inadvertently remove Jesus out of to replace them with. Things like Dallas Cowboy football. I love Cowboy football. But sometimes I start thinking, well, I've been thinking about Zeke the Freak and Dak Attack and all that stuff all weekend long. I'm excited about the game this, this Sunday. We're going to play the Packers. We're going to kill Aaron Rodgers, you know. And Eddie Lacy's not even going to be playing, so we might have a good chance at winning this game. And Dad's caught it. He caught the ball. I think about deer hunting a lot. I love to be out in the woods. That's my escape. I love to get out there. I finally got the deer lease back in my name uh, with my family. I'm excited. I've been sitting up. I'm going to go buy a deer blind and start setting up a feeder and scouting and all that, and I was starting to get a little obsessed with that. You can become obsessed. And that might not be your case. You might be looking into your life right now, you might be saying to yourself, man, I'm not even reaching towards the goal of Jesus. I'm reaching towards my own goals. Like, my life is consumed by the things that I want more than Jesus. Consumed with my career. Consumed with, with the things in this life like that. Consumed with things that, that matter to me more than Jesus. Church, if that is you, I want you to know. It's okay. It's all right. You're a work in progress. Jesus is at work in your heart if you have surrendered your heart to him. And you might be struggling back and forth. And that's the question, do you struggle with sin? Do you struggle with this? Is it something that you, or that when you sin, you feel like, man, that's bad? Is it something like, I do it all the time. I don't care. Do you struggle with sin? Paul leaves us with a bit of encouragement. It says in verse 20, it says, But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body, and by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. He reminds us that those who belong to Christ, those who belong to Christ are not to grow too comfortable with earth or be distracted by the pleasures of this earth. It says you are a citizen of heaven. If you have surrendered your life over to Jesus, our citizenship is not on earth anymore. Our citizenship is in heaven where Christ has been exalted and we are eagerly straining towards our heavenly prize. He says that you, your heart should long for heaven because that's your home. If you're a follower of Christ, you should automatically be longing for heaven. You should be homesick. You should desire heaven. You should be desiring the things of God because that is who you are. That's where you're from. You're of heaven. You're a citizen of 
heaven. You strain towards that goal because you're just homesick. And if you're not, then is your heart really transformed? Is your heart really transformed? Throughout your week, if you don't even as once think about God or Jesus or heaven or what your life is going to be like when you pass away, is your heart really transformed? As a follower of Jesus, if, 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 if you never even think about those things, is your heart really transformed? Or maybe you feel as if your past is holding you back from pressing forward. Pastor, I want to I I live like this. I want to press forward towards the goal, but I cannot get over the fact that I love the party, that I love to drink, that I love to do these things like that. I love to live my life. I love my, my, um, my relationship with my, my phone. The phone is the gateway to a lot of bad things, by the way. I love all these things, and, and, and these are the things that I long for. Is your heart really transformed? The good news is that there is a solution to that problem. Paul said it earlier in this message, and, and he says that he's not perfect. He says he's not perfect. There's one thing that he does. It's just forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. I press towards the goal, the prize of the upper call of Christ Jesus. You're not your past, church. The things that have happened in your past do not define you. The person of Jesus who died for your past sins and your future sins and your present sins, that is what defines you. Do not let anyone tell you that your past is your, your identity. It's not. Paul says, forget that. Forget all that past. Forget all that crap. Look forward to what lies ahead. The person that you were five years ago, ten years ago, twenty years ago, five minutes ago, is not who you are now. You're defined by what I have done for you. You're defined by what my son did on the cross for you. So forget it. Forget about that. Don't let that hold you back from going forward. I mean, you might be sitting here thinking, wow, that's awesome. Okay, great. Start doing it now. You're like, I've been terrible at following Jesus up until this point. Okay, here's your chance to start a new press reset like you used to do back in the old game consoles. You remember those? <laughs> Super Nintendo? You have to press the reset button, take the cartridge out, blow it, hit it. You know? Do that in your life. Now it's like take the disc out, rub it on your shirt, put it back in. Start now. Start reaching forward towards the goal of Jesus and only Jesus in your life. Be discipled by someone. Allow someone to tell you the things you do right and the things you do wrong. Follow behind someone who loves you, is willing to walk alongside you. Be discipled by someone. Get into a community group. Get into a group of people that is diverse. Listen, you want to learn how to be a better husband or spouse? You don't hang out with singles. Remember we said that. Be into a group that has good, mature, married families and learn about all their hard times and their struggles. I met a guy this past week, uh, Pastor John Warren from Grace Point Church, and we were talking about church planning because I remember when he planted his church in Portland, Texas, it literally was inside of a, of a movie theater out there in Portland, Texas, and, and he grew it and grew it and grew it, and God just grew it. And I was talking to him, I said, hey, how long have you been doing this now? He said, man, I've been doing it 10 years. I said, good God, has it been that long already? Man, it's awesome. And they're meeting in the middle school now, and they just bought some land. They're going to build a building. I was like, John, what was, uh, you know, where are you at now? Like, how many attendees do you have? Because we have over 650 members now. I'm like, good gosh, I remember when you had like two. 
you know? And he was, I was like, John, what is the hardest thing that, that, that you have in your life? And he was just telling me the struggles. He meant the hardest struggle is getting volunteers to understand how important they are. And I was like, really? Great. I said, because we struggle with that too. He's like, yeah. I said, did you ever struggle financially? He goes, oh, yeah, we almost lost the church like four times. I was like, really? That's, that, that's incredible. We're like fixing to lose the church now. You know, like, <laughs> like we are there, you know? And he was like, Felix, just keep going. You got this. And he told me some things that I could maybe do better. So do you do, you do these things? That I'm like, no, I don't. He said, maybe you should do them. I was like, okay. You need to be around people who are going to grow you and pull you through those hard times. That is how you become mature, imitating those people and keeping your eyes on those who walk in the Lord. And that will help you reach towards the goal of Christ, the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let's pray. Father God, we are so thankful for the things that you do for us and the things that, that you bring into our lives and the opportunity we have to just grow and the opportunity we have to be challenged, the opportunity we have to be connected to other believers. We, we, we are acknowledging the fact, Lord, that you are good. We acknowledge that you are so good to us, even though we screw up a lot, that our lives are not perfect and maybe we're not the perfect man. Maybe, maybe you're not the perfect man. Maybe you're not the perfect wife. Maybe you're not the perfect girlfriend. Maybe you've made mistakes and you've hurt people in your life. Maybe you're the type of person that talks bad about other people behind their back. Maybe you're the type of person that finds a lot of self-value in your past and the things that you are. But ultimately, if you look at your life, it's empty compared to what it should be filled with. Maybe the density of your heart density of your heart is focused on things of this world. Church, I'm going to tell you right now, the band's going to come up and they're going to play a song. They're going to, they're going to sing to you. I'm going to tell you right now that, that the song that they're going to sing, I want it to speak into your lives. I want you to acknowledge the fact that He loves you. That He loves you. what you have done doesn't matter how bad your life has been if Jesus Christ can die for murderers and rapists he can die for gossipers and self-righteous people it doesn't matter what category of sin you're in he has died for you it doesn't matter what uh, what past you have he has died for you it doesn't matter what you're doing right now. It doesn't matter what you did right in the parking lot before you came in. It doesn't matter what you did the night before, before you came into this church. He has died for you. And church, that should stir in us an upward call, a, a, a push towards heaven, a straining towards the goal that says our life will be devoted and dedicated from now on to the one who saved me, that I am focusing everything, all of my efforts, all of my time, everything, every detail of my life will be focused on you, that I strain towards the goal, I lay down all the sins and entanglements that, that bring me back and keep me from running closer and to you. I am doing this for you because you loved me. Christians, we, we sing these words in praise no matter how He loves us. He 
loves us so much. And we give praise and thanks for that. If you're struggling with something, please come talk to me. If you're struggling with uh, something that you need to be, you need help getting straightforward, you know, and helped on, be discipled. If you want to be connected to a group of men, a group of women, a, a group of families together who will come alongside you and help you grow, come talk to me. Come talk to Justin. Come talk to Jenny or Sarah, one of the leaders of this church. Get connected. Be encouraged and challenged at the same time. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Let's worship. Let's all stand.